Hello again to everyone out there on the internet. My name is Charlie Keyes. I pastor First Methodist Amarillo Campus, and I want to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of our online campus. I'm so glad you've joined us today. I hope you're excited because today we're kicking off a brand new series called Streets of Gold. And so with that, let's get right into it. So again, today we're starting a brand new series called Streets of Gold. This first sermon starts by examining a scripture in Revelation 21, starting in verse 15. I encourage you to grab your Bible, turn there with me as we read God's word together. So let's start in verse 15. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The wall was made of jasper. The city was pure gold as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate. Uh, I had to look that one up. The third was agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, the 12 gates of the city were made of pearls, each gate of a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. That was Revelation chapter 21, verse 15, and then 18 through 21. So again, thank you for making the decision to be a part of our online campus today. I hope you're excited to be here because I am truly excited to be here having this conversation with you. I believe God is going to accomplish great things in our, in our lives and through our church as we begin this new series we're calling Streets of Gold. Now, full disclosure, prepare yourself. This series is a stewardship series, which means throughout the next four weeks, we will be talking about money. But please don't turn don't tune out. Don't turn your ears off. I, I truly believe this series will impact how all of us approach finances and inspire us to live differently. So some churches, they shy away from talking about money, shy away from talking about finances for fear of offending people or giving the impression that all we're really concerned about is, is filling the offering plate. But that could not be further from the truth. You see, several years ago, our church, First Methodist, we developed what we call our ministry compass. This document contains our vision, our mission, our values, and our success factors. We call this document a compass because it should be the primary tool that guides the direction of the church and is helping us move in the right direction and stay on track. We, we're going to post in the, the comments a, a copy of our ministry compass for you to look at. I encourage you to take time to, to read it regularly, take time to pray about it, because we won't be able to accomplish those mission and vision goals without you. If you read our ministry compass, you'll find that our mission is to awaken people, to transform lives by providing opportunities to glorify God in worship, grow deep through connection to Jesus, God's word, and people, and to go and serve their neighbor, community, and world. You'll also find in our list of values that we are committed to a culture that is characterized by external focus. We engage and we connect with our community. We also want to have a culture with a generous spirit where we can respond to the needs of the church and the world financially, 
but also with hands-on service. Here at First Methodist, we are committed to discussing financial matters because scripture affirms that finances matter. See what I did there? If you need a pause to, to get the giggles out, that's fine with me. Finances not only affect our ability to accomplish the mission and vision listed in our ministry compass, but they also affect those who play a part in achieving those goals. It certainly seems that Jesus understood the impact of finances. Allow me to quote from Chris Willard and Jim Shepard's book, Contagious Generosity. By counting the number of verses in Scripture, you could argue that Jesus spent more time talking about money and possessions than about any other subject. That includes heaven and hell. Now, why? Why would Jesus spend so much time and energy talking about money, talking about possessions? Is it because he is greedy and he wants our money? He wants our possessions? No. Jesus already owns everything, so that would not make sense. I believe Jesus invests so much time and energy talking about money and possessions because our view on personal finances impacts our manner of personal living. Let me say that again. Our view on personal finances impacts our manner of personal living. In fact, Matthew 6.21 tells us, or maybe it's better said, it warns us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As I've already said, treasure or riches is a common theme in Scripture. In our main text for today, precious metals and, and precious jewels are repeated over and over again. To, to help you visualize what is being described, allow me to read the text for you again. Now, what we're going to do is, as I read, that when I come to a word of, that describes a, a precious metal or, or a precious uh, stone, we're going to bring that picture up so that you can visualize it. That The intent of this text is to help you uh, just engage your imagination and what might be seen. So let's go back to the text, Revelation 21, starting in verse 15. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Now verse 18, the wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on a foundation, a foundation of stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I hope those pictures helped. I mean, can you imagine it? Can you see this glorious city adorned with these precious stones? Imagine what it would be like to walk on those streets of gold. We are told at the, at the beginning of Revelation 21 what is exactly being described here. It says in verse 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, that's Revelation 21, verses one and two, if you want to read those again for yourself. This city with a foundation of precious stones, with gates made of pearl and streets of gold, is the dwelling place of God in the new heaven and new earth. Needless to say, this city and its description were meant to have an impact on us. The description of God's dwelling place impacted me in a way that I did not expect. While meditating on Revelation 21, I made a realization. The materials that God used to construct his holy city are the same materials we here on earth are tempted to hoard. In other words, what God uses as construction material, we're tempted to covet. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Gold is the standard in which we measure excellence as humans. We say things like, my promise is as good as gold. You have a heart of gold. When, when you find something of value, you might say, you found a gold mine. For those of you who are, are worried about getting out on time at, at church, maybe you've said something like this. Speech is silver, but silence is gold. Even if you're home by yourself, don't amen that last comment. We also have our, our top athletes who compete for what? A gold medal. What we use, what we use to measure excellence and value, God uses to pave his streets. See, in God's view, gold and asphalt are synonymous. Why? Why does, does God not value gold? Does, does he not understand what it's worth? Of, of course not. I believe God values gold, but he values it in a different manner than we humans do. God knows the purpose behind money and possessions and gold and precious stones. While we think that by owning these valuable things, we in turn become more value, valuable. God sees these things for what they are. They're tools. Money is tools. Money is meant to transport you, not transform you. I believe Paul makes that point in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Now, before we read it together, allow me to give you some context. A year prior, the church of Corinth had actually enthusiastically boasted that they would share their offering with the Macedonian Christians. But up to this point, they had done nothing. So Paul is actually writing to the Corinthian church to remind them of the financial commitment that they had made. You'll see that Paul is far more concerned with the spiritual benefit of the Corinthians' generosity than he actually is the financial amount of the gift. So with that in, in mind, let, let's read the text together. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up in your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly. You may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will, be su will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way by your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. 
For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your partnership with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of your surpass, the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. See, for Paul, the concern is not about the amount of money. I hope you saw that. His concern is not about the amount of money. It is, it's not about the amount of money that's given. It's about the attitude that determines how much money is withheld. If you allow money to transform us, it will convince us that we have to look out for ourselves. It's up to us to provide. There's not enough to go around. My needs are what's most important. But if you allow money to transport you, if, you allow, if, if we allow it to transport us, it will lead us to a place where we realize that everything that we have is a direct result of God's generosity. God generously gave us breath, generously gave us life, generously gave us a family, generously gave us community, and generously provided for our financial needs. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that, so that, by, by always having enough of everything, you may what? Share. Share abundantly in every good work. See, money should not transform us, but God's generosity should. Money should not transform us. It should be God's generosity that transforms us. Living a life of generosity is a living testimony of how generous God has been with us. Financial generosity is an expression of trust that God can and will provide. Again, I wanna quote uh, from Jim Shepard from earlier, the spirit and the practice of generosity is always an outward sign of an inward commitment. Now hear this, money is perhaps the most measurable aspect of our faith. Again, that's Jim Shepard and Chris Willard in Contagious Generosity. Take a moment. Take a moment to consider your own financial life. Are you sowing sparingly? Paul makes the point that those who are stingy in giving will experience lack in receiving, but those who, are, who sow generously will experience the abundance of the Lord because they're trusting, they're exercising their faith, their belief in God's generosity. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is determining how I live and give? Is it my money, the amount I have or I don't have? Or is it God's generosity? My hope and prayer is that all of us take a step towards greater financial generosity by the end of this series. But that won't be easy. The culture we are a part of, the culture that surrounds us, uh, is really encouraging us to avoid generosity and spend all that we have on ourselves. That, that our needs, our wants, are what's most important. Therefore, therefore, for those who would like to take a step towards increasing your generosity, we're going to be posting in the, in the comments a copy of what I'm calling our generosity response cards. Now, I'm going to encourage you to, to, to pray over, don't, don't fill it out yet, but pray over that generosity response card. 
because these cards are designed to help you determine how you will respond to God's generosity, how you're gonna respond to the generosity that God has shown you. A, A faithful response, a faithful response to God's generosity, giving because God gave to us, will always require commitment and discipline. And I found that there's just something about writing down what you intend to do that helps us when we commit to to something and when that commitment becomes difficult. So I encourage you to to look over that that generosity response card, pray about how you might fill it out, what next step you might take in responding to God's generosity by giving generously. We're going to be praying over those for the next four weeks. We're going to be thinking about those. And then the last sermon in this series in, in, in in the, towards the beginning of December, we're going to all as one church at all of our campuses, Canyon, Amarillo, and online, we're going to turn in those generosity response cards together. And then as a church, we use those generosity response cards to determine our annual budget for 2023. And, and that budget is what fuels, what, what uh, allows for us to pursue the vision and the mission that we believe God has given us as a church. So I really want to, to recap, I want to encourage you to, to, to print out that generosity response card or, or maybe save it in your phone so that you can look over it over the next four weeks. Pray about God has been generous to me. Think about what all you have because of God's kindness and his grace. And then pray about and consider how will you respond in generosity in, in response to the generosity that God has shown you. With that, let me pray for you as we, we close out our, our discussion today. Let's pray. Father, help all of us. Help us to see and know how you've been generous, how you've gifted us, how you've protected and how you've provided. Stir up those realizations, stir up those memories in our hearts and then give us the courage to respond generously, to respond to your goodness, to to trust in your abundance, to trust in your ability to provide by giving as you lead us to give. Not begrudgingly, not forcedly, with joy. With joy so that the mission and the vision of this church that you love can continue. We can continue to serve our community, continue to share the gospel with the lost, continue to provide for the needs of those who who need our help. Walk with my brothers and sisters who joined me today. Uh, Make your presence known to them and assure them of the love that you have for them. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I hope you have a great day and a great week, and I look forward to seeing you back next week for week two of Streets of Gold. Have a great day.